Well, howdy. howdy. Welcome back after spring break. How you feeling? All right, all right, all right, all right. Come on, people. Come on, people. Uh, this is your chance. Aggies, how you feeling? Okay, we are uh, at the tail end of the school year. We have roughly six weeks left, um, and it is crazy how, how this is coming to a close so quickly. And, and as we've been thinking about you and praying about where you guys are at at this point in the semester, maybe for some of you at this point in life, we thought, what better series could we come up with uh, to help answer some tough questions that many of you guys have, which is this, how do I make a good decision? When I have these opportunities in front of me, when I have these uh, pieces in front of me, how do I determine what God wants me to do? How do I know what to do in this situation? How do I make a good decision? And it's that that idea, that starting point that that gave us the idea for this series. And and in thinking about this series, we're going to be looking at five pieces, five pieces to help you make a good decision and to make it memorable, to make it easy for you to remember. There is one simple acronym for you to memorize, to lay on top of every decision you've got in front of you. And it's simply this, ask it. If you want to know how to make a good decision, here's all you need to memorize. One simple phrase, one simple idea, ask it. And this first talk today is going to be really answering the letter A, that, that I would align my will. So the first, to give you an overall for the series, it's align my will. S is to seek wisdom. Third, to know your freedom. There's freedom within the will of God. Fourthly, that uh, we, would, we would hold our hands um, open to say, hey, if God is in it. And then the last one is time in the meantime. How do I spend my time well in the meantime before I know what is next? That is the overall series. That is where we're going. And I'll tell you what, each piece builds on one another to help you make a good decision in life. And this first week, we are looking at how do I align my will with God's will? How do I know how to live my life in such a way that I know that I am making godly decisions with the opportunities in front of me? So to answer this first question, we're going to go to Romans chapter 12, looking at verses 1 and 2. So if you have a Bible, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, this is the starting point to making good decisions in life. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, Paul says this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That word spiritual could also be translated logical, reasonable. This is your reasonable worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may be able to discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Let me pray for us one time, one more time before we launch in. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And thank you so much for this opportunity to study your word. And, and really that we would be people that would make godly decisions with the opportunities you've laid before us. And I know for many of us, we're thinking about careers and relationships and all these different areas of life where we need to make a good decision. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us your wisdom so that we would make God-honoring decisions. So in your name we pray. Amen. Well, who has a decision coming up? And here's some decisions. You can just raise your hand as, as we go along, and this will kind of get everyone. Hey, should I date this person? Is that a question that some of you are asking? 
Oh, really? No relationships. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> should I marry this person? Is that a question some of you are asking? No. Perfect. Good. That's, that's easy. You're like, God doesn't like people, so I'm not going to worry about that one. Uh, great. Uh, so how many of you are deciding, hey, should I take this career? Okay, keep your hands up. Uh, should, I have, uh, should I move in with these roommates next year? Should I go for this organization? Gosh, you're not making any decisions in life. Well, for the three of you that have raised your hands along this journey, that actually have a decision to make, uh, the, the reality is this. As you are approaching those decisions, and maybe you've made all of those decisions, you're like, Kevin, I don't need God. I got my decision, right? So whatever, wherever you're at, the bottom line is this. We have decisions in front of us, whether it's a, a major to choose for those of us that are freshmen going into our sophomore year. Uh, some of us have a, a career path to pick. Some of us have um, roommates to move in with. Some of us have friendships that we're wanting to build. And the question I would always want to know is, am I making the right decisions? And for some of us, we come, become paralyzed in that decision-making process because we don't know what to do next. And the first step, this is why I think this is so important, the first step in making good decisions is this. Am I aligning my will with God's will? And for many of us, I would say what we need to do is not just make the next decision, make the next play. We should ask ourselves this question. Am I willing to have my will realigned? Am I willing to have my will realigned with God's will? Because here's the truth. When things are out of alignment, when things are not going in the right direction, it can cause big, deeper problems. So I had a friend of mine in high school, uh, his name was Brian, and he drove uh, a Toyota pickup truck that looked something like this. Now, this was in the 90s. And, uh, and so this was the beautiful Toyota pickup truck. He had a name for it. I forget the name. But Brian drove his Toyota pickup truck really like a monster truck, okay? So he would drive this Toyota truck um, over barriers, over curbs, over parking blocks. I mean, the, he would literally drive this truck anywhere. And, and we grew up in the Katy area, and there was a one point, uh, one weekend, and I'm not recommending this. I'm just divulging to you. Um, he decided to take this vehicle off-roading into a unique area of town uh, that looked kind of like this. Uh, so if you're familiar with the Houston area, there's these bayou areas that are cement bayou areas. Uh, this is not where we went. This is someone's fishing in the bayou for some reason. Uh, but it accurately betrayed the area. And so you, you could drive down this cement uh, part and, and go through the water, go up the other side, drive around. And so we're in the back of the pickup truck, uh, truck as he's driving around this whole area. And I'm like 16 at the time. He's like 17 and making good decisions. And, and we're, we're going around this area. And, and by the time we kind of finished, we're like, hey, we probably need to leave before we get arrested. And so we start driving back up the, uh, the, the embankment and uh, he can't get his car out. Oops. And so we jump out and start pushing his car out of the embankment. We get out of it, uh, it scrapes the bottom of you know, the chassis, everything, and, and get, get out of the, <laughs> the insanity. Uh, we, we get out of the bayou and, and we start driving down the road and we hop back into the front of the car um, and we're all kind of going like, that was fun, that was crazy. And, and Brian's like, I watch him kind of like fighting the steering wheel and I'm like, hey, hey Brian, what's, what's going on? You know, he's just like, hey guys, check this out. He lets go of the wheel and the car darts left. <laughs> 
It's like, what? And he's like, he's like, he's like, I think I did something to it. I'm like, yeah, I think so. I think your alignment is way off. And he's like, yeah, my dad's going to be mad. You know? <laughs> and I look at that reality and I go, I go, what he did with all of his decisions is that he made this car go completely out of alignment. So much so that he had to fight to keep it on the road. And I think the truth is this, for, for many of us, our will is not aligned with God's will. Our natural inclinations are not aligned with God's inclinations. What God wants for us and from us is in no way aligned with where he's going. So left to our own nature, left to what comes natural when we're making decisions, we veer off to the left. And we don't make God-honoring decisions. We just go with what we think and what we feel. And what God says is this. To make good decisions, what we first need to do is have an entirely new shift in how we think about our lives. And we have to ask the question, am I willing to realign my will with God and how he makes decisions and what he wants for my life? And that's the first major adjustment that all of us need. And if I'm honest with you, I'm honest with myself, I would say this. I don't always want what God wants. If I'm honest with myself, I would say this. I don't always desire the things that God desires. And I think there's a reason for that. I think ultimately, I think fundamentally, I don't believe one simple truth. I don't believe that God wants what's best for me. I believe that I want what's best for me. And I would say this, it's because I'm not seeing God correctly. I don't see God correctly. And that's why Paul starts this section with an appeal. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He says, the first thing we all need to do is this, to understand what God the Father is like. He says, I appeal to you. The, the word appeal is basically a strong exhortation. It's, it's somewhere between a suggestion and a command. It's not like you must do this, but he's like, I'm, I'm really telling you. It's like when my mom uh, would, would ha- be having a conversation with my mom, and I'd be like, Mom, uh, this is like in high school, but like, hey, I'm not sure I want to do that. And she would say this to you, to me, Kevin, I'm telling you, go to your room. <laughs> Kevin, I'm telling you, do your homework. Now, is that a command? It's, it's pretty close to a command, but it's not quite to that next step. If I kept on pressing my mom, she'd be like, go to your room, you child. You know, like she would, she would get to the, the command. But Paul is using that, that this strong language. See, I appeal to you. I, I'm telling you, therefore, by the mercies of God, he uses that word by, and that means um, through or because of, in light of, uh, understanding something about God. And he says, I want you to understand this about God. He is merciful. I want you to understand this fundamental passage about God, that he is merciful. He loves you. And really what Paul is doing in this first section is he's pointing back to the previous 11 chapters. And Romans, if you haven't spent any time reading Romans, I would strongly encourage you to read the entire book. Spend time in the, in the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans, because Paul lays out everything that we have in the Christian life. That we're forgiven in Christ. That we're, that we're brought new. 
That we have new hope that cannot be taken away. That, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There are so many great truths, principles, all through the book of Romans. And what Paul is saying is this. When you understand all the mercies of God, you begin to start seeing God correctly. You see that God is a giver and not a taker. And this is crucial. Because every other pagan religion that Paul is um, arguing against in the Roman times, they believed this. That in order to receive the blessings of the gods, you had to do the right thing. In order to receive the blessings from, from whether it be Aphrodite or, or Zeus or the Roman versions of that Jupiter, he said, you, you have to live a good life. You have to offer good sacrifices. And if you offer the right things, then those gods would bless your life. And, and Paul is saying something completely opposite of that. He says, God has given you amazing gifts. God loves you. God deeply wants a relationship with you. And God wants for your life better than you want for your own life. And he's already done it. And he started by giving you the greatest sacrifice we could ever receive. And that is the gift of his son. See, he sent his son to die in our place for our sins, to forgive us of everything. But not only that, he gives us the spirit to empower us to live a new life, a God-honoring life. So he's a giver fundamentally. And if we understand God first, he is merciful, he loves us, he's a giver of great gifts. It's the starting point to first seeing God correctly. So when I was uh, celebrating my one-year anniversary, um, my wife for some reason, said to me, uh, hey, we are going to be going to Galveston, and I think we're going to be going out to dinner with my parents. It's going to be fine. And so my mom is going to drive us there. And I'm like, and we're, this is like our one-year you know, anniversary. And I'm like, okay, fine. You know, this is fine. Her parents were married um, a couple days before us in terms of anniversary, not in terms of time, but in terms of anniversary. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and so we were kind of we're really close in celebrating anniversary. I'm like, okay, I guess we're kind of celebrating anniversary together, going out to dinner with her family. And so we hop into uh, her mom's minivan, and we drive to Galveston uh, to celebrate, uh, you know, with a meal there. And so I'm just kind of sitting in the back of the car, like, just blank mind, just kind of going, I don't know why we're driving to this place. Okay, great. And so I'm just riding along, and, and, and Hillary this whole time has another plan in mind that I don't know about. And so she's nervous about me, like, getting in on the plan, figuring out what's going to happen, but I have no idea. And so I'm just sitting in the back of the car going, like, all right, we're going to Galveston. I don't know why, but okay. And, and, uh, and we took, take this turn, and she's so nervous on this turn that I'm going to figure out the play. And, and, I'm, and I'm just, I'm not thinking about anything at all. <laughs> and she takes the turn, and all of a sudden we're, we're where the ships are for cruise, the cruise ships, the cruise liners. And, uh, and she looks back at me. She goes, okay, you figured out. You know where we are. And I'm like, we're in Galveston. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what we're doing. And she looks back at me. She goes, we're going on a cruise. And I'm like, why? <laughs> She's like, it's for our anniversary. I'm like, oh, oh, like... All of this makes more sense, you know? Like, I just, I didn't think about that because I didn't think rightly about my wife. I didn't see what she was really, I mean, we're only a year in. I mean, it was nine years of dating and then a year of marriage, but it was, you know, only 10 years. How did I know? But, 
But I didn't know that she'd be that creative. I didn't know that she'd be that fun. I didn't know that she would surprise me in that way. And so everything else, I'm just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And I'm just kind of doing my own thing. But, but I didn't know what kind of gifts she would give me. And the same is true in our relationship with God. We don't know how good the gifts are that he is preparing for us, the future that he has for us. And so we just kind of make our own decisions and do our own thing, not understanding what he's putting in front of us. He says the first step to making good decisions, to aligning your life is this, to see God correctly. And when you see God as someone who's a great giver, we respond, the natural response is to live a dedicated life. To give all that you have to a God that loves you deeply. Continuing on the passage, it says this. In the view of God's mercy, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That we would present all of us to a God who loves us. That we would give everything to a God who cares for you deeply. And he uses language of, of sacrifice. To the Jewish people, they would offer sacrifices year after year to forgive their sins or to to kind of show that they were uh, in devotion to God. And what Paul is saying is, look, like the, the, the sacrifice for your sin, now that's taken away in Jesus Christ. That's done. But there are sacrifices of devotion. To say, if God is so giving and so loving toward me, the natural response that I should do is to present myself to the God who loves me. I should present my body everything I have as a living sacrifice and that that sacrifice would be holy and acceptable to God. And that is your spiritual. Another translation, as I mentioned earlier, say logical or reasonable. It's the word um, logizomai in in Greek. And it means this, that's the logical, reasonable thing to do. If, If God is that good and he has that many great things for us, the reasonable response is to give my life to him. But for many of us, we wrestle with that. Like, okay, God, you, you want to give me to give everything to you? Like, my future, my plans, my will, like everything to you? And what we do in life oftentimes is we, we neglect this simple principle to live a life fully dedicated to God's will, and we choose to live life our own way. And then at the last minute, we try to pray God into our plans. So the simple illustration would be like this. Like if you took Highway 6 South, like you got onto the highway, you started heading south, and you had the deep conviction to go to Dallas. And you're like, but I'm going to head Highway 6 South. And you start going, and you're like, hey, this doesn't look like Dallas. Um, I'm not going through Waco. Like this, you know, I, th- none of this is going the direction that I would want. I'm not seeing signs for Waco. I'm, I'm still going south. And, and at the last minute, you realize, oh, no. Oh, no, I'm, I'm getting closer to Houston. Oh God, I don't want to go to Houston. I want to go to Dallas. Like, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. And, and you start praying, God, God, make this road turn into a road to Dallas. I've made all of these decisions along this journey that would seem to end up in Houston. But I want you to overcome my stupidity, Lord. In this moment... And make this road appear me in Dallas, right? And we do that all the time, right? God, I have not studied for this exam. I have not prepared for this exam. I've made lots of bad decisions all the way along. But at this point, Lord, what I need you to do 
is to download every book that I didn't buy yet into my head so that when I take the exam, I'm ready, right? Like we, we do this, right? God, I haven't prepared for a career. I have not focused my life. But God, drop a career making a conservative $100,000 a year in front of me. And, and we, we play this game with God. We're like, I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to follow your will. I'm not going to do anything that you're asking. But I want you to come in at the last minute and undo all the mistakes that I've made. And God says, listen, I want you to present your life to me. And let me guide your life. And when you come to individual decisions to understand the specific will of God in a given situation, we must first begin with a life of devotion. If you want to know my specific will for a given situation, should I date this person? Should I take this job? Here's the problem. You want me to speak into that, but you wouldn't be willing to listen to me even if I spoke. You haven't been living a life following me. And even if I was to give you clear direction at this point, you wouldn't even be in a place to hear what I'm saying. He says the starting point is to live a life of devotion to God. Then I can understand the specific will of God. There's a book called The Four Wills of God by Emerson Egrich. And he describes this. There are four universal wills of God. If you've ever asked the question, I don't know what the will of God is. I don't know what he wants me to do. There are four that are extremely clear. And I'm going to give them to you right now. The first one is this. In John chapter 6, it says this. This is the will of my Father. What's the will of God? I don't know. It's impossible. The Bible's a mystery. This is the will of God for you, Right? That everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. He says, look, here's the first will that you've got to align your life up with. This is clear. This is the moral will of God that you would receive the Son and get eternal life. That's it. That you would believe and have an eternal destiny. I mean, that sounds like a good gift, right? That you would first believe in Jesus and have eternity set. That's so freeing for us. The second one is this, that in everything that we would give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God wants you to be a thankful person, that you'd be thankful for your friendships, for your relationships, for your opportunities here, that you would live a life of thankfulness, that you would clearly live a life to God saying, I'm thankful for the gifts that you've given me. Thirdly, that you would submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Okay, God, Um, everyone, but what if I don't like them? Well, whether to king, well, I don't like the king, as to one on authority, or to governors, oh, governors too, huh. as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right, that you would submit yourself to your professor, to your boss, to those people in authority, to your parents. He goes on to talk about, this is the will of God, that you would submit yourself to every human institution put there by God. Number four. Verse 4, 3, for this is the will of God. God, I don't know what you want me to do. What do you want me to do? I don't have no idea. For your sanctification. Okay, generally, like I would sanctify, I mean, I would look more like Jesus in my life. Okay, I get that. What does that look like? That you would abstain from sexual immorality. Hey, should I sleep with this person? I'm not married. Should I sleep with them? I don't know what the will of God is. 
This is the will of God for your sanctification, that you would abstain from all sorts of sexual morality. We did a four-week series on that. That is the clear will of God. And to summarize them quickly, it's this, that you would believe, that you'd be thankful, that you would submit to the, to the Lord through the authorities that he set in place, that you would be sanctified, that you would look more and more like Jesus, and it includes purity in your life. Those are the clear, crystal clear wills of God. That you would live a life of devotion by submitting to the clear will of God. Andy Stanley has a great phrase to summarize this, and he says this To understand why, submit and apply. To understand why, submit and apply. To understand why I should do this. Sometimes on the front end, we may not understand why, but we submit and apply his design for us. We live a dedicated life. And over time, you will gain a transformed mind. When you see God correctly, when you devote your life, your mind begins to be transformed. You begin to think about things differently. Romans 12.2 says it this way. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't don't let the world press you into a mold. The the word conform means this, to, to literally be pressed into a mold. And you'd be surprised how many decisions in your life you only go through the filter of pop culture. How many decisions we walk through that are shaped by culture, not by God. I'll give you a couple of them. One, one would be this, that financial security is the only consideration. That's one of the, the views of our culture, of our world, that financial security is the only consideration in making a decision. Is it a consideration? Sure, but it's not the only one. Second one is this, in relationships, that love is more important than character. That love is more important than character. Should you date this person? Should you marry this person? I don't know. I think I love them. Great. What about their character? What about their character? Thirdly, in your career, there's, there's been lots of research showing that, that people within their first job, this is so fascinating to me, within their first job, what was it? 60% of teachers after four years leave the career field. 60%. Only 40% of lawyers tell, advise people to go back into law. Like if they were advising themselves, they're like, don't come here. And it's so interesting. So many of our decisions, we, we, we see ourselves, our, our career is our only hope. And we say the next career is the next one. And what ends up happening is when we let culture shape our view of reality and the decisions we make, we only let culture press us into that form. We don't see the world correctly. And I'll tell you what, a small misalignment in the will of God and what he is asking us to do makes life very blurry. This is a picture from the Hubble telescope in space. These are actually the same image taken twice. The image on the left was taken in in 1993, November um, 27th of 1993. And what they realized as they were taking these pictures is that there was a small flaw in the lens. In fact, the flaw was so small, so insignificant, it was about the size of a human hair. The flaw in the lens was just really small, the size of a human hair. And so it wasn't practical for them to go and and replace the lens just because of the enormity of the, the telescope. So they had to build in corrections. 
the corrections required about, they described it as a telephone, um, a telephone book in width of corrections. Now, you may not know what a telephone book is. You kind of laugh, but my kids didn't. And then and I was like telling my kids this. They're like, what's a telephone book? I'm like, okay, well, back in the day before computers, um, it's a large, thick book that has a bunch of phone numbers in it. And you say, there is one hair of flaw, and it required that much work to reset the image quality. For many of us, our flaws are actually not that small, Right? Our flaws are actually a lot thicker, and we can't see the will of God, and it requires a lot of correction because I ultimately don't want what God wants for my life. I ultimately don't desire. And all of the things that people are saying, hey, are you, have you aligned your life with the will of God? Are you following God in these decisions? It's taking a lot of adjustment and correction because ultimately we don't see like God sees. And we don't want what God wants. And so when there's a decision in front of us, we get really terrified to make a decision because we're not thinking like God. Douglas Moo in his commentary of Romans says, it, says this, this reprogramming of the mind does not take place overnight. It is a long process by which our thinking is to resemble more and more the way God wants us to think. He says, this is a lifetime process to reshape your mind to see decisions differently. What we need is a transformed mind. That we could see all the opportunities in front of us like God sees them. And we so often don't. It's because we don't know what the Father is like. But if we do, if we walk through this process of first testing, seeing what the will of the Lord is, what we'll see at the end of it is that in Romans 2 it says this, then we'll actually make decisions like God would make them. It says this, that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm going to read the whole passage one more time to put it in context. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, see what God is like. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Live a dedicated life, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. He literally lays out a process. If I see God correctly, if I start living a dedicated life, my mind will begin transformed, and I will start seeing life the way the Father sees it. I will start seeing things the way God is seeing it. And if I do that, you'll be surprised at how many simple decisions in front of you become clear. How many blurry decisions become very, very clear. And the, the truth is this, because as you are living life, there are always obstacles in front of you. There are challenges in front of you. It's difficult to know what is the right way to go. But as you have a transformed mind, so I see the world like God sees it, I value what he values, then I understand how to navigate the terrain. So several years ago, um, I, I learned how to ski for the first time. And I was 28 years old. The first time I learned how to ski was in taking youth on a ski trip. Okay. And, and as you go on a ski trip with friends, uh, the funny part is that the, there's always really good people. And they're just like, you know, it's really easy. You should just jump on the skis and just come, to, come with us to the Double Black Diamonds. And, and that's the easiest place to learn. And I said, you know, I want to survive the ski trip. 
And I'm kind of leading this thing as a youth pastor. And so I'm going to start on the bunny slopes. And so, so literally, I started over. And I went uh, with this group of kids. There's probably about 10 of them that we needed to learn to ski again, most of them freshman girls and me. And, and we, we all went there to the ski instructor, and, uh, and we're all there. They're looking all cute, and I'm looking, I'm like borrowed weird gear and, uh, and skis. And, and, uh, and the guy that was giving the instruction was like a gruff guy, and he's like, we're going to start from the beginning. He's like, those other people, they don't know what they're talking about. They're going to take you up to the top of the slope, and you're going to die. Um, we're going to start the fundamentals. And we didn't even go up the slope. We went to the, the base of the bunny slope. Right? He didn't trust us to go up the bunny slope. So we went to the base, and he says, these are skis, people. You ever seen these before? Yeah, these are poles. They're going to help you. And, uh, and so he literally had us practice with the poles first, and then practice with the skis. And finally, he said, okay, now you can clip in. You know how to clip out? Here's how you clip out. Now clip back in. Now clip back out. I'm like, this is annoying. It's like, click out, clip in. I'm like, okay. He's like, now here's, here's the deal. We're going to teach you the pizza, which you're familiar with this. You turn your feet in to snowplow to a stop. He's like, here's the deal. We're going to go up this mountain, this bunny hill. And you're going you're to want to face all the way down and go straight down. And that may work on the bunny slope. But when you get to the harder ones, it's not going to work. So here's what you're going to learn. You're going to learn the pizza to the right, the pizza to the left, the pizza to the right. And pizza to the left, and we're going to work our way down the bunny slope. And I'm like, okay, this is painful. I should have gone with the other people. And so we do this. We get to the top of it, and we meander slowly our way down. He's like, how would it go, people? How would it go? And we're like, we're all fine. And he's like, okay, we're going to go up again. I'm like, how long is this lesson? I mean, it was so long. And we get up again, and we start doing it again. And, and, then, and then finally, at the end of, of a good half day, we go to lunch. And afterward, he goes, okay, now we're going to go up this green. Now, I saw some of the previous groups with other instructors trying to go down the green. And they were, like, skiing off the side, you know? Like, like it wasn't safe for anyone, you know, like on the mountain. I'm like, what did you do with these children? And, but then I looked at our group as we're following our leader in this line. And we're all, like, cruising down together, pizzaing our way down this green. Like, and all the girls are like, Y'all okay, girls? are like, yeah, this is so much fun. I'm like, oh, my God, this, I know what I'm doing. We're skiing down this thing. And, and he went down the end of it. And I'm like, hey, those other instructors. Those, those kids were kind of off the rails. He's like, I know what they're doing. You got to get back to basics before you get to the more complex. This first sermon is the basics. This first sermon is to say this. Are we simply people that are living our lives behind God's will? And if we are, if we align ourselves with him, we see every decision differently from a God who loves us who cares for us. We see every moment as, as a gift from, a, from God and we hold up those decisions with God-inspired lenses. And then as things get more complex, you'll have the baseline to make better decisions. So the first question I'm going to ask you is this. Are you willing to realign your will with God's will? Are you willing to go through a process of realignment. It's your first step to making good decisions. Now, when they get more complex, you're going to want to come to week two because we get into that. Let me pray for us.
Lord, thank you so much for your, your wisdom. And I thank you so much that you have called us to be people to follow you, that you are a God who loves us, who cares for us, who has a, a future and a plan for us. And Lord, I know for many of us that we, as we think about the future that we have in front of us, that, that honestly, we don't want to go back to the basics. We want to move on to the more complex, but I pray that we would be people that say, okay, Lord, there's wisdom in resetting my will. Are my desires in line with your desires? Are my prayers in line with your prayers? God, do I really want what you want? Lord, I pray for, for all of us here that we would take a moment to go through the process of realigning our wills with yours. We can't do it by ourselves. It is a gift of the Spirit. So I pray that your Spirit would come, would speak to our hearts and open our minds. It's in your name we pray. Amen.